content king. <laughs> yeah. Do you know the truth, Jordan? You're, <laughs> you're gonna decide that, are you? What the fuck is wrong with it? You know how they play. See, you've got your mood lighting on. I'll have to stick mine on. Can't be having the fucking true Jordy outdoing me. Nice boxer shorts, mate. I appreciate the effort. What do you think of that ass? There you go, ladies and gentlemen. First on the True Jordy podcast, Mike Bisping's ass. I'll leave the, the underwear in, just uh, on the edit. Get the women in. Oh, please you know. do, please do, mate. Um, <laughs> welcome back to the True Jordy podcast. I never get tired of saying this. It's been a few times now. Introducing the Hall of Fame Octagon Warrior, <laughs> Michael the Cow Bisping. Come on. Let's go. Come on. Let's go. Come on, what, what's up, Brian? Good to see you, mate. Good to see you as well, bro. And uh, a good time to talk for uh, two huge fans of UK MMA, and you are a pioneer, and you were cage side to witness our first, well, debatably, heavyweight champion of the world. Tom Aspinall is the interim heavyweight champ. Uh, what was it like seeing him just perform that miracle live like kicking the ass of the the guy who everyone's terrified of in like a minute unbelievable i mean that is that is the word to be honest because tom's an incredible fighter right he's shown that the way he's gone through everyone the technical brilliance the agility and all the rest of it right but against sergey pavlovich i thought he would have to you know, move around, be light on his feet, use all the space in the octagon, use his wrestling. I didn't think he'd go out there and spark him out in 69 seconds. Um, obviously, I'm a commentator, so I was able to go backstage and see Tom beforehand just to say, you know, good luck and all the rest of it. And Tom's so humble. You know, he said to me, he said, you got any last minute advice for me? And I'm like, you don't need advice from me. You know what I mean? You're killing it. And ultimately, I just said, you know, be yourself. Just be yourself, Tom. I did give him a couple of specifics, but I'm like, mate, you just fight the way you always fight and you'll you'll uh you'll do more than fine. But then to see him go out there and as you say, sixty nine seconds to drop the guy, jump on him, those vicious hammer fists, and to become the interim champion. Mm. Um yeah, just just an amazing moment. The first ever British UFC heavyweight champ. And he is the heavyweight champ because right now, you know. Listen, I've got so much respect for John Jones, you know, and I'm going off the tangent a little bit. I've got so much respect for John Jones, but he's not, he can't fight right now. So he is the interim champion and that's a real thing. So yes, he's mm. the number one contender, some might say, but right now he's the only man that's competing with the belt around his waist that will probably defend the belt at some time. So uh, how was it? It was uh, unreal. I was so happy for him. I had to work on uh, the BT Sport Pulse Fight Show and I, I struggle with my voice, you know what I mean? And people think I'm always on the piss. I wasn't working. I wasn't commentating the fight, so I might have had a few. Do you know what I mean? I might have <laughs> had a few. I might have indulged ever so slightly. Uh, but I had to go. And, when Tom yeah. won, ESPN asked me to go on as well. I didn't have a suit on or anything. And I, I had no voice whatsoever. I sounded like the most yeah. unprofessional asshole you've ever met in your life. But it was a beautiful moment. And then... When he walked out, I went and gave him a little embrace and I just said, I'm so proud of you, Tom. And you probably saw the little video. He, he kind of broke down and yeah. I mean, he's just a legend, man. It was he's fucking just emotional watching guy. that, Mike. For us as fans, right? Like I remember going downstairs at like 2 a.m. to watch your title win, you know, and to see the pioneer, the first guy to do it, to then now see you with our next guy who for me, 
I think is the most talented fighter I think maybe England have ever produced, but maybe the UFC has ever seen, arguably. Like, the talent in this kid is outrageous. So, But to see you have this moment together, it was like, you know, you started that, Mike. You know, you, you have to take a little bit of... And I, I know we all, but Tom probably been Tom regardless, I get that, but... You know, you really paved the way. So I hope you you know that. Well, that's really kind of you to say, Brian. And people do throw that around, the pioneer and stuff like that. But there was Ian Freeman before mm. me. There was other mixed martial artists before me. And I'm always very sensitive to make sure that I, I give them the credit that they deserve as well. Granted, I guess I was the mm. first to be as successful as I was, you know. Uh, but but, mm. but it still feels weird to sit there and say, I was the pioneer. There was other people before me. But yeah, I did have a great career. Uh, and to be there with Tom, to form a friendship with Tom, as we have, you know, we're pretty, well, we're very close now, you know, and just to be around that whole fight week to talk to him leading up to it. ESPN, we did a brilliant piece up, uh, with Tom and his dad. And then, yeah, as I say, just to be mm. backstage, just to give him a little embrace and, in my own little narcissistic way, be a little bit of a part of it. It was beautiful, man, because <laughs> yeah. I'm so proud of Tom. I really am. It's not about me. Yeah. It's not about anyone else. It's about Tom. And I agree with what you said. Probably the, the, the I think Tom's going to defend that belt for a long time, right? Even after the John Jones fight. And, and I think he will go down as the greatest mixed martial artist that England or Britain's ever produced. Yeah, I, I'll be honest. I thought, you know, this guy is unbelievably talented, but he's almost so humble, it's to a fault. And then I don't know yeah. how many months ago it was, I was listening to your podcast and you had him on and there was a switch and he was talking differently and he was acting a bit more aggressively and a bit more arrogant. I was like, yeah. And he was like, I'm, I'm this guy. Like, I'm going to win this title. I'm going to do these things. And uh, I think that was a key moment just hearing that and it's definitely taken an effect in his career. No, without question, you know, because he was so humble and he always said, I want to slow roll it. I want to take my time. Uh, and I think having that year out when he hurt his leg made him realize how much he missed the sport. And, you know, listen, mm. being humble is great, but you've also got to kind of sell yourself to a certain degree and you've got to believe in yourself. Now, granted, people like myself maybe mm -hmm. took that to the extreme. You know what I mean? Conor McGregor, Ian Gary, they're <laughs> doing that. Leon's extremely humble. But at the same point, it's not being arrogant and it's not being an asshole to actually sit there and just say, listen, this is how good I believe I am. And this is how far I'm going to take it because Tom can back that up. You know, sometimes it can sound delusional. It ain't delusional when it's coming from Tom. It ain't delusional when it's coming from a person that's knocking everybody out, stopping them in record time, finishing them in the first round. And that's what he's done. Nobody has even given him a fight yet. We haven't seen any adversity whatsoever. Can you think of a time in the UFC when Tom was pushed, when we've seen him black and blue, covered in blood? I mean, he's a prick. I became the I became the champ, but fucking hell. I, I lost an eye along the way. I fucking lost brain cells Fuck along me. the way. I had my nose broken so many times. They've took my ribs and had to rebuild it because it was fucking disintegrated. You know, I scratched and clawed and eventually managed to fucking steal the title for a minute. Yeah. Paul, uh, sorry, Tom has just wiped the floor with everybody. That is such a good point. And kind of, um, I'm a big believer in, you know, you look at the past to predict the future and looking at the Usyk-Tyson Fury fight lately, I've been saying like, how often do we see Usyk in trouble? 
versus how often we see Fury in trouble. So I'm looking at, at, at Tom Aspinall's career in a very similar way and going, let's let's look at the best. Uh, the, for me personally, the best heavyweight I've ever seen was Cain Velasquez in his prime. I, I thought he was absolutely outrageous. But that man had adversity plenty of times, and it was always a war. Whereas, as you say, Tom has written poop through people like a hot knife through butter. And even John Jones, in his peak, it wasn't like this. I've never seen John Jones look this good, this devastating, this like emphatic, this quick. Like even his best ever performances seemed to take a lot longer and there was more back and forth. So I think that's why we can, that's why the, the MMA community for once is actually looking at the interim champion and going, he's the real champion. John Jones is, isn't what he is right now because he's had one heavyweight fight. Aspinall's been ripping them to shreds. Yeah, yeah. Listen, and I understand all that chat. As I said before, we have got to give respect to the champ. You know, now ESPN's mm. MMA rankings, I don't know if you've seen this, they have Tom Aspinall ranked number one. Jones is number two, and that's granted. It's, it's made up of a panel of journalists from ESPN. Brett Okamoto is one of them. He wrote an article on it, and he said, well, when you compare their heavyweight resume, John Jones has had one fight at heavyweight, yeah. and he's had one fight in the last three years, whereas Tom has been active. And other than that leg injury, you know, against Curtis Blaze, he's been absolutely perfect. And that happened in 15 seconds. So, yeah, it's a loss on the record, but it's kind of like John Jones's loss, right, where he got disqualified. It doesn't really count. Yeah. And it doesn't count. I'm yeah. not taking away from Curtis Blades. So, yeah, look, listen, if you're a British MMA fan, if uh, if, <laughs> if you're Tom Aspinall's wife, it's time to get excited because you're <laughs> fucking, you're going to the moon, <laughs> right? Get looking at houses, get picking out the cars, get, get picking out your favorite handbags because it's all fucking coming. Yeah. It is how humble Tom is. I texted him and I said, listen, mate, I don't know if you've realized this. This was after the fight on Sunday, which he never responded to, by the way, prick. <laughs> um, but this is how humble he is. I said to him, I said, mate, you're going to go on some crazy win streak. You're going to get pay-per-view points on every single fight. You're probably, probably, because you never know what's going to happen, probably going to go down as the greatest heavyweight fighter that the UFC's ever seen. And when it's all said and done, you're going to retire with an astronomical amount of money in your bank account. You're from Atherton. You're from the northwest of England. You're from very, very humble roots. You know what I mean? But have you allowed to think that you're going to fucking have 30, 40, God knows, maybe 50 million in the bank one day? And he's like, I'm not thinking about any of that. I said, well, you might want to start doing it, mate. You might want to just lie there on a Sunday morning, have your coffee and go, ooh, let's have a look what we might be able to buy. Because, yeah, it's not for the money and we all want to test ourselves. Go fuck yourself. It's for the money. It's for the money. That's why we do it. Do you know what I mean? So, hey, and he deserves it all. And I could not be happier for the guy. It's a it's a really dangerous thing to get into, I guess, because you want to stay hungry and stay motivated. But yeah, he's got the world at his feet. And I'm excited for a guy who is a family man, who always seems to most of the time say the right thing. And he speaks like from, <laughs> I feel like he's a really great representative for the UK. Um, but yeah, he did put his foot in it lately. I don't know if you, we've all seen it <laughs> by now. He, he made that. this... I've got, I mean, we've all fucked up at one point or another. I'm the king of it, for Christ's sake. But he's, um, he's, he made a little joke with uh, Nina, the, the MMA interviewer, who's a, she's great and she asks really awkward and uncomfortable questions all the time. So he played her game, but he didn't get the memo that men can't make the same jokes as women can because it's 2023 and they're waiting for an excuse to cancel you. 
And he said, you know, how what would it take for an MMA guy to think of you? And he was obviously not being serious. Um, but this is the thing. This is the price of fame. And you've kind of had it at times as well. What do you make of him just being in this situation right now where he's being quote unquote cancelled? Because it's in all the papers. He's not going to get cancelled. Is it actually in the print papers? I, I mean, it's in the, the, you know, I think the Daily Mail and the like of uh, doing yeah. articles about it or whatever. But it's, I mean, it's just, he's a big name now, right? Well, well, they've got nothing better to write about. You know what I mean? They want a bit of scandal. They love, yeah. they love a bit of gossip. We know this, the tabloids, that's what they go for. You know what I mean? Uh, mm. It's funny because Tom put up a reel of Nina. And by the way, I know Nina. She's a great girl. I work with her on Power Slap. And she is. She's she's a great girl. She's got a great sense of humor. And she always pushes the envelope. So Tom put together like a little reel of her yeah. other examples. And he put in there, he said, listen, I was just trying to get one back for the MMA lads. She's always making people feel uncomfortable, you know. And Nina knows what she's doing. As I say, she's not bothered by it. She wasn't offended by it. And she took it all in its stride, like the joke that it was intended to be. Now, granted, maybe not everyone's sense of humor, all right, fair enough. But you hit the nail on the head because yeah. I showed it to my wife. I showed it to my wife. And you know what she said? And this is coming from a woman, not a misogynistic pig, Michael Bisping. She said, well, look at that. <laughs> it's okay when a woman says it, but when a man tries to play the same game, that doesn't fly. Yeah. You know what I mean? So as I said, there is yeah. the double standard. It, but still, it, I, I learned this the hard way. The big news that, is he's the champion when, of the world, Brian. Uh... Let's focus on the positives. <laughs> Even if he wasn't the champion of the world, I learned this already. When you're a big, you know, strapping dude, people just think prick, <laughs> like absolute prick. <laughs> so yeah, he's got he's got to learn the hard way, unfortunately. But yeah, this is a good it's a good little taster for when he you know has all of this success coming his way that people will be looking to uh, to bring him down. Now, um, one person who's looking to bring him down is John Jones, I guess. Uh, but my, my my question to you is, do you think that that fight will ever happen? Do you think now that the UFC might go, what are we going to do? Wait for Stipe Jones till God knows when to happen and let four, five, six years of non-competition happen? Or are we going to throw them? Because to me, I'm thinking, you want to build the next guy rather than preserve the old dudes. But I don't know what you think. Yeah, yeah. Well, before John Jones even gets a chance at taking him down, I'll be taking him down because he's joining me on stage in Manchester and in London, December 14th and oh, 16th, yes. Tales from the Octagon, right? And if he thinks it's going to come out and it's going to be kissing his ass session, you got no chance, mate. He's coming out. Yes, we're going to celebrate his greatness, but I will be taking the piss. I've been working on some stuff. I, I, when he hears what I'm going to say, I don't even know if he's going to come out on stage after it. Do you know what <laughs> I mean? But uh, but Tales from the Octagon 2, December 14th and 16th, myticket.co.uk. I had to get my plugs in. Paul Craig will be joining us as well. So got don't you. miss it. Q&As, meet and greets, lots of fun. we got Dapper Laughs opening up for us as well. He'll be doing a little stand-up set at the beginning. So it'll be a fun night. Anyway, back to your question, John Jones. What was the question? <laughs> will John Jones take the fight with Aspinall? Because let's be honest, the legacy John Jones has, it was all when he was the biggest guy in the light heavyweight division. Now he's got to go and toe to toe with these other big guys. And I feel like that's the real test of how good John Jones really is. And I I think he was hoping to have that steepy fight and get the hell out of there before he had to fight Tom Aspinall. But now shit just changed. It did just change. Um, so here's the thing, right? So John Jones doesn't need to prove anything to anybody. He doesn't. The career he's had is legendary. It speaks for itself. He decided to go up to heavyweight. He became the champ by beating Cyril Garn. 
for me, and 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 the the rumor is the word on the street was that if the fight between Jones and Stipe did go ahead, that we could have seen a double retirement. Okay, but for Jones, in a perfect world, you go up to heavyweight, you become the champ, you beat Stipe Miocic, the greatest heavyweight champ that we've had. Before you swan off into the sunset, you've then got to beat the number one contender, and then and then it's done. Right, because otherwise the narrative, and this isn't me, I'm saying people will always form the narrative that he was running and ducking new competition. At light heavyweight, he went through multiple generations of challenges. He doesn't have to do that. But now it's even escalated further with Tom being the interim champion. If the legacy fight between Jones and Stipe goes ahead, which by all accounts is going to happen next year, if he doesn't fight Tom then there's going to be a lot of backlash. There's going to be a lot of criticism and they're all going to say that he's ducking Tom. I won't say that. Jones is a free man. He can do whatever he wants. He's sacrificed his body. He's worked hard. He's put on some tremendous displays over the years. But to be able to truly claim the throne, it's like it's, it's like in the olden days, in the medieval times, the, 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 there's someone else claiming the throne. You're going to chop his fucking head off. You know what I mean? You've got to settle this once and for all. Who will be king? Tom Aspinall will smash him. I do. I've said, I've said, and Jones, I'm going to have to answer to this when I bump into him one day. I said after he beat Martin Tybura, I don't think Jones could hold a candle to him. And I think the thing that people overlook with Tom is how quick he is. Like, we, we've not seen that combination before at heavyweight where we're looking at an Anthony Joshua-level athlete here. We're looking at a really special athlete and uh, you just don't see that and I think the problem for Jones is you didn't beat Ngannou to get the belt so we still don't class you as the the real legit champion and the one guy we do now see as your competition you don't want to fight him so he's actually ironically he's in a similar position to what Daniel Cormier was in when he got his belt from Jones's inactivity. And, uh, and and it's interesting to see how he plays the situation. And I, I do think one way or another, it's a, it, if he does retire and doesn't take the Aspinall fight, it's that mark on his legacy of, now you never, you never, to be the man, you have to beat the man and he never beat him. So was he really the heavyweight champ? But um, speaking of, of Ngannou, there's talks of him. Uh, obviously, there's the, the, the Tyson Fury fight we've seen. There's now talk of him having some sort of mixed rules fight against Deontay Wilder in the PFL. What do you make of that idea? Well, <laughs> yes, there's talk. Who's that talk by? The talk is by uh, whatever his name is, uh, Don Davis, I think it is, the chairman of the PFL and of Bellator. They've both merged. That's great. What do you do? Who cares? <laughs> Does anyone care? Yeah. Is, do you know what I mean? It's just like UFC bought Strikeforce back in the day. They brought Pride back in the day. They bought WEC and they folded those fights. They're doing the same thing. This is not some game-changing thing. And then the big news is, is they would love to do Engarnu versus Wilder, right? Um, in some kind of mixed rules fight. Well, I saw yesterday an article from Deontay Wilder saying that he wants to come over to the UFC. So you don't know what to believe. 
Right, of course she's going to say that, and of course on paper that would be fantastic. I'd love to see Deontay Wilder and Francis Ngannou throw down, and if it happens in the PFL, I'll watch it. Regardless of where it happens, I'll watch it. I'm not a hater, um, but he was specifically oh. talking about the UFC. He talks about how he has a good relationship with Dana White, and I've seen him at the UFC Apex on multiple occasions. You know what I mean? The fact that he's showing up at the Apex would lead me to believe there has been some discussions and negotiations going on. So I don't know, but if we say hypothetically that that's going to happen I mean yeah sign me up I would love to see it two big guys that swing like that yeah the thing about uh, Wilder my, my first thought was you know what I'm not sure he should fight in heavyweight if he's an MMA guy because he's, he's actually like he's quite like uh, John Jones's frame you know maybe he'd be better off uh, trimming down because I don't know if them skinny legs could stop a takedown if I'm being real like um, I don't know if he's suited for it those you know? little toothpicks those little toothpicks, mate. I mean, they're very I'm, slim. I'm, I'm not going to sit here. Yeah, they're very slender, very slim, very, very brittle mm. by the looks of it. I mean, Tom's got big, massive, thick, proper, chunky legs. We saw what happened to him. He blew a leg out. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Well, you know, that, that's going to be like a little yeah. Bambi. Do you know what I mean? Prancing around the octagon. Exactly. I mean, I'm, I don't want to sit here yeah. and rip on Deontay Wilder. I'm a, I'm a fan of the guy. I think he's incredible what he's done in the boxing ring. Um, but there's a, there's a lot to learn. What do you make of Jake Paul trying to drag Nate Diaz into an MMA fight? Apparently, they've made a huge offer, a PFL, like 10, 15 million to Nate. It's on the table. How do you think that goes? Because I know you've criticised Jake a lot for the elderly uh, box uh, MMA guys, but he would then be stepping into Nate Diaz's cage. So would there be a level more of respect from you there? Yeah, look, listen, I don't have anything personal against Jake Paul. I've never met the guy. I'm sure he's a great human being. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't, but we'll just assume that he is. <laughs> no, you know what I mean? Let's assume that he is. I don't, I, don't, yeah. I mean, he can be a bit annoying, yeah. you know what I mean? But let's just assume that he's a good person and he's just trying to sell his fights and all the rest of it. I've got nothing against him, but I'm uh, an analyst and I'm a commentator in the fight world. You know, so I'm going to talk about this stuff mm. and I'm going to call out what I see. That's the only thing I've ever said. I've never said anything personal. I've never said that he's a bad person. I've never said that he does this, that, and the other. I've just said he cherry picks easy fights. He's a businessman. He's not a fighter, right? Fighters go into fights not knowing that they're going to win. That's what gives you that adrenaline. That what makes you scared. You know what I mean? That That's what keeps you sharp. You know, every single fight I went into, I was like, fucking hell. I, I, I'm going to give it a go. I reckon yeah, I can legit. do this. I think I can pull yeah. it off. I'm going to train my ass off, but we'll have a go. Do you know what I mean? Um, he's mm. not doing that. He's making very, very precise, orientated business moves. He's being smart, you know? Um, now, of course, he's going to be calling out Nate Diaz because this this uh, one boxer that he is fighting in fair play, he's fighting a boxer, this 10-1 and one guy. I saw yesterday, they're doing it in a 3,000-seat arena, and they've sold hardly any tickets. That says, Jake mm -hmm. Paul can't sell tickets by himself. Not It's not hate. They're just saying, if that story, what I saw yesterday, is accurate, then maybe that's what it points towards. So they want Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz is going to be the draw. How does he do against him? I don't know. Nate Diaz can't wrestle. Nate Diaz isn't a wrestler. So for people that don't understand, if they watch you because of your boxing stuff, yeah, we strike on the feet, punch, kick, knee, elbow. Then you're on the ground, you've got the submissions, the jujitsu, we call it. To get them from the ground to the floor, you've got to wrestle. Jake Paul did some wrestling in college or high school, so he can wrestle a little bit. Nate Diaz wrestles a little bit because he does mixed martial arts, but he's not a wrestler. If it hits the ground, 
Jake Paul will get submitted very quickly, just like Conor McGregor did, just like many people did. On the feet, where we saw how the boxing went, Diaz isn't much of a kicker. So again, this is like all orientated based upon the boxing match. He goes, well, I beat him there. I could beat him on the feet in uh, in the cage. I could probably stop the takedown. So that's why he's being like that. Uh, and, and Diaz isn't interested. You know why? Because it's embarrassing for Nate Diaz. It's embarrassing. He was embarrassed in that boxing match. Look at the way he walked out the press conference halfway through or like the media day, whatever it was. He was like, oh, shit. I'm used to going up against the best fighters in the world. I'm used to going up against people like Conor McGregor. And I've got this Disney boy going on, trying to talk tough to me. He's like, oh, yeah, fuck this. I'm out of it. Walks off. And listen, he got beat fair and square. He did. I thought Diaz looked terrible. He didn't look good. He looked like he didn't take it seriously. But that's that's his problem, not Jake Paul's. Um I don't think Diaz mm. is going to do that again. He can fight anywhere. He can come back to the. Do you UFC. think that's the problem? He is like fight. The, 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 there's an excuse there. If like, okay, well, boxing's Jake Paul's thing, but I'm the guy in the cage. If Jake Paul whoops him in the cage, that's a real humbling experience for a guy like Nate Diaz, who's viewed as a legend in the UFC. Oh, for, no, for sure. That's always a gamble. That's always a risk. I just feel mm. like with Diaz being the way he is, with the infrequent schedule that he has for his fights, he's probably only going to fight two or three more times. I'm not sure how old he is off the top of my head. Mid to late 30s, you know what I mean? Um, all he's going to do is come back to the UFC, fight Conor McGregor. He's going to make $25, $30 million. So why is he going to, why, why is he going to mess around with a Disney boy? You make a good point. Like fuck me. I mean, that is the that is the fight, isn't it? And um, you know, you mentioned Conor McGregor. Actually, I'm going to skip ahead because I was going to bring him up. I'm actually wondering right now, like, how good is it even possible for him to be at this stage when you've got like Chandler is sacrificed a year waiting for this fight and that, that still hasn't materialised. I wrote it down. Um, he's got four fights in the last seven years. McGregor, by the time he fights, it'll be seven years, four fights. One of them is a win against Donald Cerrone, which, let's be honest, everyone has beaten him who's any good Very like in the last few years. Um, and then you've got the leg break. If he loses the next fight against Chandler, Connor would then be 10 wins and five losses in the UFC, which... For someone who likes to put himself in the GOAT status, it's not a bad record by any means, but it for him, for his self-esteem, it's it's not what he he puts himself as. Um, but yeah, regardless, like how good can Connor actually be in a comeback fight against Chandler? Like, and um, what are you expecting? So you raise some very good points, valid points indeed. Um, let's remember he did become a two-way division champion. He did set the sport on fire. That's why he became the biggest star. That's why he got all this money. That's why he turned into the egomania, let's be honest. And we've both been on the receiving yeah. end of the voice notes. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? So, so, but I couldn't give a we fuck what McGregor says. Um, <laughs> but here's the reality. You're right. By the time he fights, it'll be three years away from the octagon with the leg break as well. Then on top of that, you think about all the luxury that he has. You know what I mean? All the money that he's made, the the insane fame that he has. This these are all massive distractions to being a fighter. They just are, you know. Um, so how good is he going to be? We don't know. More than likely, one would assume that he's not going to do very well. That he's not going to come back and be the Conor McGregor of 2016. That's a fair assumption yeah. to come up with. But also, also, you've got to say this: 
He was the guy that took the UFC by storm. He did become a two-weight division champion. And he's not going to fight until, what is it, July now or something. From now until July is a, di a very different amount of time. Right, Three weeks ago, I was hungover, fat, sloppy. Do you know what I mean? Looks like shit, bro. I, I've been fucking running every day. Look at me. I got my cheekbones back, my six-backs popping. Huh. I'm, fucking, I'm fucking ready to make a comeback, bro. Right? If I can do that in two weeks, just think what McGregor can do. But all jokes aside, he can. If he, if he really knuckles down, if he really knuckles down, he can come back and give a good account of himself. I don't think he'll ever reach his prime again. Can he beat Michael Chandler? Sure. It's two human beings. If he loses to Michael Chandler, it doesn't really matter. If he beats Michael Chandler, he'll probably fight for the belt. If he loses to Michael Chandler, he'll probably fight Nate Diaz. And if he loses to Nate Diaz, there's a fourth fight with Dustin Poirier. Conor McGregor's got options galore. He's got ways to make money for the next few years. And I guarantee, and this is probably part of the problem for him, if you're looking from the outside, he doesn't give a fuck. Because either way, he's golden. He's got money. And uh, all right, granted, at some point that's going to run out, but there's massive, massive fights that are, that are always going to be at the fingertips of Conor McGregor. I agree to some extent. I, I do think that the, his self-esteem is intertwined with how good of a fighter he believes he is. And I think part of the reason we've seen him off his face uh, in the past couple of years is, is probably him struggling with that, which I'm not I'm not gloating, even though I think he's a dick. I don't wish that on him by any means. And I do respect like what he achieved in the UFC. He was unbelievable. But even looking at his first performance against Dustin Poirier 1 and how bad his timing was in that fight where Dustin took him apart um, not that he was horrendous in that fight but he just wasn't the sharp Connor uh, I'm, I'm not expecting a lot and to be fair to the lad if he comes back and fucks Michael Chandler up that's a hell of a comeback story. Like, I, you know, mm. it really will be fucking, I won't take anything away from it. But, you know, with that injury, I can only expect it to be pretty bad. Um, but I, I want to move on to another uh, storyline yeah, yeah, that's just, kicked just, off just, recently. Just let me say w w one point on that, Brian. And you're right. I do agree. Mm. I do agree. And generally, this is what we know in combat sports and sports in general. You yeah. have one peak. You know, you, it doesn't go like that. You have one peak, Connor surely hit his peak, so more than likely he's on the downslide. However, human beings, man, we're, we're, in, we're okay. If I can go out there and win a title with one fucking eye, McGregor can come back and beat Michael Chandler. Not saying it's going to happen, but it's on the table. It's a possibility. Well, he was sparring Ian Gary, and I was pretty impressed with that because Ian Gary is legit, right? So, you know, mm. um, it, depending on how that went, fair play. Like He, he must be putting yeah. himself in the right places to try and sharpen up. Um, what was your peak? What fight was your, where you felt a million dollars? Oh my God. <laughs> I was going to say uh, the Kung Lee fight. I really, really enjoyed myself in that one, but it wasn't a peak because I had one eye. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so, so, but, but like, I, I, I guess something like that, you know, around the 2014, 15, 16 era, something like that. It's weird because we always talk about it, the mentality and the mindset of fighters and how the mind is so important, how fighting, you know, to be a great fighter, you've got to be a great thinker and you do. And the emotional side of things is always what I struggled with, not the physical side. My mind would take over. I would get angry. I would get emotional. I would, it's like an absolute idiot. Once I kind of figured that stuff out a little bit with the help of Jason Perillo, started getting a handle on things. So yeah, somewhere around there, but who knows?
it's funny looking back at your career now in retrospect because there's a lot of talk in the boxing world about Anthony Joshua's mental uh, challenges. And when I look at your career, I felt like there was like a, at some point, I remember looking at you thinking, there's a slight tentativeness there that, um, and then all of a sudden it went. There was something that happened with you where that, that defensive mindset when and you became a flat out dog like that was when we see in those anderson silver performances but uh, was there a, was there a thing that happened in the middle of all that where you were like you know what maybe like the tom aspinall moment that he's just had like where the switch was flicked because you really did bite down on the gum shield i started learning more skill i, I think i overcomplicated the recipe do you know what I'm saying? I started over analyzing things and they say paralysis by analysis. Yeah. You know what I mean? But may maybe there was a little bit of that. That's going Anthony on. Joshua. That's exactly what he's had, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. So that was going on. And I remember when I fought Chris Lieben, uh, this is 2008 now, he was known for having a chin of granite and sheer knockout power. So the game plan in that was to use my footwork and let him come forward and just like counter him, counter him, counter him. And maybe that kind of blended in a little bit. Uh, you know, who knows? And then towards the end, I kind of got it I back. remember that. I think that's why I thought that. I remember that fight so vividly because, but Lieben was juiced to the fucking gills. He, he was, was juiced solid. Out of his fucking uh, you know, so you were, mate, you, yeah. you had, you, it wasn't fair when you look back at that. Like, cause that was the, that was the Chris Lieben that knocked out Vanderly, like a proper yeah. animal. Yeah. Yeah, you know, but but that, that was the old days of MMA. Everybody was on steroids. It's like, this is what I'm going to talk mm. about uh, on this show coming up, Tales from the Octagon, how the landscape of MMA has changed. You know, back in the day when I started, nobody knew what this sport was. You know, it, the small MMA promotions, they were all just like, uh, uh, they were money laundering services. Do you know what I mean? For like drug dealers and <laughs> gangsters and shit like that. Everyone was on fucking steroids. Yeah. I wasn't because I always had the, the vision to be in the UFC. You know, there were some some wild times and some funny characters. And then now it's a it's a respected sport. Now people are talking about it. I mean, back in the day, no one knew what UFC was. None of my mates did. You know, and now I live in America, granted. Mm. But I get on Facebook on, on a Sunday morning. My mates from back home are talking about the UFC at the weekend. It's just amazing how far it's come. You know what I mean? And now not only was I the champ, we got Leon as a champ. We got uh, Tom. So we've got three yeah. champions now. And, and top to bottom mm. in the UK, we've got so much great talent and hopefully many more champs to come. I mean, Ian Garrett is Irish, but we'll claim him. You know, we've got Lerone Murphy. He's, he's definitely got the potential as well. So it's come so far. I'm excited for that Ian Gary potential Leon Edwards rivalry, being that they were Jim uh, Bros at, at one point. But uh, Colby Covington, Leon Edwards, uh, what are your feelings about that right now? Listen, you know, I mean, the, that head kick knockout against Kamaru, unbelievable. Then he comes back, beats him soundly in London. Um, what's Colby bring to the table that's different? Not much. An MMA math doesn't stack up. It doesn't. But it kind of does in some ways. You know what I mean? You can't say, well, this guy beat that guy, so he'll beat that guy. But when you break them down, Kamaru's a bigger version of Colby. He's probably a better wrestler and he probably hits harder. Now, the difference is that Colby brings to the table is the pace, uh, the output of the strikes, and the way he chains the wrestling attacks together, one after the other after the other. So he will be relentless on Leon. But Leon showed in that in that third fight with Kamara that he could stop the takedowns. I think his confidence has grown. We know he's an absolute sniper on the feet. Uh, but, but it'll be a test, for sure. I don't, because I think also when you look at Colby Covington, he's had two title fights now. This is his third. And I think he's 36 years old. 
and he's never been the champ. He's been an interim this is champ. It for him. Three title fights. That's hard to get. You don't get four. Yeah. <laughs> if you do get four, I'm filing an appeal. I'm having a word with Dana and say, what the fuck? <laughs> Fucking, it took me to almost 70 years yeah, like, old to get one. a shot at the belt. This bastard gets one every weekend. Do you know what I mean? So so I think Colby's going to show up. It's going to be the best version of him. But but I expect Leon to do the business. There's been a lot of good points made about Colby in the sense of he doesn't have many wins against currently ranked guys in the welterweight division. However, what I will say is when I went back and watched that Kamara Usman rematch he had, he was coming on strong at the end of that fight. And I actually think if he'd have more self-belief from the, the start of the fight, he may have actually... Because I think we, we had seen... Kamaru kind of athletically take a turn for, you know, from his peak a little bit down. Still a hell of a fighter, in the words of Floyd Mayweather. But he, um, I, I think Colby is is a bit more of a test than Kamaru because of what you've said about combining the takedowns, the pace, and the punches. And uh, I, I, Leon's going to have to be on point to win this fight, in my opinion. And it's a great yeah, scout for yeah. him. But, you know, he is talking about moving up away if he manages it, which... I don't know if he has the power to do that, but that would be a hell of a move if he managed it. Yeah, I, I do think for Kamaru, he came back a little bit too quick. I respect him for that, though, because you've got to remember, he got head kicked, he got knocked out cold, headshot dead, as Leon says. Mm. Spectacular. Put to sleep. And then a few months later, he got right back into the octagon with the same person. He didn't have a fight in between. He didn't have a fight to find his feelings again and get his confidence back, find his mojo. Do you know what I mean? There was none of that. He went straight back in there against the guy yeah. that just put him to sleep. And I think against Hamzat Chimiev, we saw Kamaru a little bit more improved because in that third Leon fight, it wasn't a good version. And I'm not taking away from Leon's performance. That was yeah. all Leon. That was Leon. But Kamaru looked a little bit tired. He looked slow. He looked like he was plodding. There was a lot mm -hmm. of talk about his knees and maybe he was coming to the end of his career. I thought he did wonders for his, his career and his resume and the respect that he still has in the community with that performance, even though it was a loss against Hamzat Chimiev. And I think a lot of that, the, 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 Poor showing was, of course, Leon's fantastic, but also the the psychological damage of getting knocked out and going straight back in there. When I got sparked out against you uh, against Dan Henderson, UFC 100, the whole world laughed at me every time I opened social media. Even still to this day, I still have people showing me the memes. You know what I mean? Like like I give a fuck. Do you know what I mean? But at the time, <laughs> you know, 14 years ago, you know what I mean? Yeah, it haunts you a little bit, and you brush it off and you say you don't care. So that was 2009. I fought him again in 2016, seven years later. And I think we spoke about this before. Even seven years later, and even after God knows how many fights it was, I'm becoming the champion and defending the belt. I still had a little bit of like, oh, last time I got in the ring with this guy, yep. he knocked me out cold. And that was separated by seven years, God knows how many fights, and becoming champion. Kamara went right back in there. So you got to respect that. But I also think that definitely played a factor in that. Yeah, I, I, on Kamaru, he's one of the coolest motherfuckers I've ever interviewed, man. Really like the guy. So intelligent, strong, just funny dude. Really got a lot of time with him. And I really think that he kind of showed how human Hamza is. Like, he made Hamza look very, okay, this guy is a great guy, but he's not unbeatable. And uh, now Hamza is calling out the light heavyweight champ, Alex Pereira. What do you make of that? I mean, fair play to Hamza. You know what I mean? Of course he's going to do that because he looks at Alex Pereira and he sees a one-way ticket to becoming a light heavyweight champion. Pereira's not the best wrestler. Yeah. 
Hamzat's a great wrestler. Look at how he took down uh, yeah. Kamara Usman. Look how he's taken down everybody. Picks him up, has a conversation with Dana, then slams him on the floor and chokes him out. Didn't do it against Gilbert. Didn't do it against Kamaru. So you could form a narrative that, well, when he stepped up in competition, he wasn't able to do that. And that's a fair thing. But against uh, Alex Pereira, I think he'd have his way. I'm not saying he'd win because it's a five-round fight, but he'd definitely be able to get him down. That's without a shadow of a doubt. Now, the thing is, I don't think he should get that shot, but who am I? I'm not Dana White. It's not my organization. Uh, if he does get the shot, great. Fantastic. Mm. But the hard part is, it's getting to becoming the number one contender. It's easy to bypass, to leapfrog. I mean, Jesus Christ, what is he? He was a welterweight. Now he's at middleweight. Now he's calling out the light heavyweight champ. He's like, fucking pick a weight class, bro. I mean, I love watching the guy it's fight. Joke, of course, of course, he wants to step up against Pereira. Number one, we're, we're all talking about it. Makes a big headline. Makes him look good. Uh, number two, as I said, mainly, you know, beating all the other guys that want to become the champion, scratching and clawing your way to the top, beating other guys that are just as hungry as you along the way to becoming the number one contender. That's the hard part. And then, and then you got to beat the champ. You know what I mean? But to become number one contender is a journey and a battle all of its own, let alone beating the champion. So, of course, Pereira wants to do that. He wants to bypass all the bullshit and go straight for the gold. And I don't blame him. No, it, it, I mean, it would be a hell of a fight to watch, but um, you, you mentioned the middleweight division. One man who you fought in middleweight is Chael P. Sonnen, who is one of my favourite fucking people on YouTube. I love this guy, right? But uh, he's had a weird beef lately where, where, to be fair, he didn't really start it, uh, with Jorge Masvidal. Have you seen any of this? Yeah, so uh, Chael came on my... Uh my YouTube channel last week and we had a, a nice long sit down and we got into it all because uh, he had like a bit of an argument with Aaron Hawani. I really love starting beef these days, you know, certainly if, if you're anything to do with the UFC, <laughs> he likes to talk a bit of shit about you, you know what I mean? Uh, so Ariel and uh, Chael were having a disagreement. I thought that was kind of staged. I did, but then Chael says, no, it was 100% real. I thought maybe they're going to launch a podcast, get everyone to watch, but no, Chael says, no, 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 no. We just... We didn't appreciate each other that day. We weren't getting on and he wound me up and he pissed me off. And then he had Jorge Masvidal on. And I think Ariel might have stirred the pot, talked a bit of shit. And then, then Jorge just came out of nowhere talking shit about Chael. So, uh, I mean, listen, I, I, I've, I've come under fire from Jorge Masvidal in the past. Do you know what I mean? So, so I ain't going to fucking wade in with both feet here, Brian. I know you're trying to set me up, right? Game Ben Masvidal, he's a fucking nutter. Masvidal's a nutter, man. Listen, uh, I don't need the shit. I'm a scared. No, I don't give a crap. But I can't be arsed with Masvidal coming for me every time I see him. I've had that. He come after me in China. He came after me in New York. Do you know what I mean? I Even the Cubanos were going to come the and videos, fucking get mate. me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, dear. No. Oh, dear. So, so you know, I, I, that's Chael's I, I, I heard Chael's side of the story. And... Uh, it came from like a really genuine place of like, I actually really cared about this guy. I really wanted this guy to win. And now he's calling me a bitch. Like what the yeah. fuck is this all about? And I think a lot of people, this is just my opinion, not Mike's opinion. We all loved Jorge. There was a period where he was on the come up. He was the coolest fucking fighter. This Scarface attitude. He was like a villain, man, but you rooted for him. And for him to just take on a uh, chill in such an out, right wrong way i was really fucking disappointed in that personally but um that's just my opinion 
I'm so, I'm just a podcast. You just got to hard off about, jail. Uh, it's okay. It's okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> I love, You're just trying to get Chael you on both, your show mate. next week. Equally. You saw the numbers I got. You saw the numbers I got with Chael last week. You're like, I'm just gonna, <laughs> I gotta get fucking Chael on. Let's go. <laughs> fucking hell. Um, I'm gonna switch uh, switch up to uh, Darren till now, uh, our old mate. Um, he may be coming to my show, Misfits. I might be uh, commentating, nice. hopefully uh, in the future, with a, a Darren Till fight. Uh, there's rumors of Mike Perry, and I just wanted to know what you thought of that move. It, it's a bit of a shame to see him leave the UFC when I thought he performed in retrospect. When you look at the Drickus Stupelasis fight, uh, I might have pronounced that wrong because I always fuck his name up. Um, I thought. He did better than a lot of people do against Strickland, actually. And, you know, kind of at the time it was seen as, oh, another loss for Darren. But in reality, he really had Drickus in a lot of trouble in that fight. So, yeah, what do you make of his move to Misfits, potentially? Well, well, first of all, that's a great point that you make because I think that fight has aged very, very well. Certainly when you see what Drickus did against Robert mm. Whittaker. And as we all know, Robert Whittaker, outside of Izzy, and now it's changed because of Strickland, was the next best guy, okay? Mm. I always spoke so highly about Darren and his fighting ability, you know, and I, I used to get shit off so many people, you know, just because he's English or whatever. I'm like, no, I, I know what Darren's capable of. I've seen him fight. He's absolutely fantastic. Granted, some fighters were able to expose a deficiency in the wrestling or whatever, like a Derek Brunson or whatever, but on the feet, man, he can compete with all of them, right? So stepped uh -huh. away from the UFC, He's taking a little time away. I think he wants to not be wrestling as much and let his knees heal up and all the rest of it. So fair play to him. You know, whatever makes him happy. I'm so great to hear about this. I hope the fight goes down. I think him and Mike Perry will be fantastic. Mm. Uh, I mean, Mike Perry's yeah. nowhere near as technical as Darren Till. Darren's, listen, I'm telling you, man. Darren Till could be a professional boxer, right? He's a very, very good boxer. He's got very fast hands. He's got a lot of power and he's a mean son of a bitch as well. But so's Mike Perry. Mike Perry's a mental patient of the highest degree. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Mike Perry couldn't get a win streak together in the UFC. Then he goes off to bare knuckle and he's smashing everybody, knocking Luke Rockhold's teeth out. McGregor was squaring up against him in the ring. Do you know what I mean? Mike Perry's found his niche. In bare knuckle, that's his thing. Actual boxing, I don't know about that. Yeah, you know, as you, as you know yourself, uh, you know yourself, Mike. Uh, the boxing is a bit more technical, and you can't just, just uh, you know go in there wailing because because you you obviously have so much more protection from those big fucking gloves. And I, I, I expect Darren to do fantastically well in Misfits, personally. I think he's going to do real good. Oh, yeah. There's been a bit of talk lately about one UFC fighter who was twerking after her fight, promoting her only fans. And I just wanted to know what your opinion was on the, the the modern phenomena, which is female fighters generally, this is in boxing, MMA, doing only fans. Fair play to him. Fair play to him. Why not? Yeah. Why not in this modern society that we live in? If they can find a way to crack the code, to game the system, to get money, right? Fair play to him. Now, I know some people might discredit that. Some people might, it might not be their flavor, might not be their taste. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I used to work in factories, mate, for £3.65 an hour. Do you know what I mean? It's hard to make a buck. Do you know what I mean? Uh, it's fucking hard, mate. I used to work at yeah, factories buddy. and come out black, black from head to toe with just my eyes popping out, working at a bloody char... Uh, sorry, do you know those disposable barbecues? Making them in the fucking hopper, covered in charcoal, head to toe. 
I used to slaughter cows. I love it. Do you know what I mean? Minimum wage, right? I've done every shit job under the planet. If they can sit there on OnlyFans yeah. and get paid a ton of dough, fair play. God bless him. I, th- I don't know if this is true, but I've heard Brittany Palmer gets like 50 grand a month for like just showing pictures of her toes. Do you know what I mean? I don't get the whole toe <laughs> fetish thing. It's not my vibe, but God bless her. Listen, if, I'll tell you right now, if anyone wants pictures of my toes, and they're going to pay me big time money. I'll do it. <laughs> Sign me up. I haven't got my shoes on right now. I'll give you a little sneak peek. Here we go. Oh, oh no. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we've got, some, we go. we've got some freebies, mate. We're talk, we're not, <laughs> don't you know worry about it. No, listen. Listen, all jokes aside, all silliness aside. Hey, it's a hard world. It's a hard world. My son just yeah. uh, finished college recently. You know, he's, he's got a master's degree in business, and he's trying to figure it out what he wants to do, what, what his next step is. Currently, Fuck he's me. applying for like internships and stuff like that. He's working at some crappy restaurant at the minute and he's hating life. And in a way, I'm kind of glad because life is tough and he's learning that, you know, he's learning that, wow. you know, the, the value of a dog. You're making him do that though, aren't you? You're, you're not, you're, you're, you're part of that learning, aren't you? Because I know you, you'd, you've done well. So if you wanted to make yeah. it easy, you could. But you're, are you trying to help him learn that? Well, 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 I mean, I, I help, I help with his rent and stuff like that. But he can kiss my. He's fucking twenty two, mate. He's, he's twenty two years old. He's twenty two. It's time <laughs> you were going to say kiss my. <laughs> <laughs> no, listen, you, you, you've got to, you've got to learn the value of a dollar. Do you know what I mean? So anyway, going back to the original question, life is hard and he's learning that right now, and he's learning what it takes. I mean, it's hard just to keep a roof over your head. It's hard to pay the bills. You know what I mean? Inflation, the cost of living. I mean, the average people in the street are really struggling just to put the fucking yeah. heating on. Do you know what I mean? So if these women can go out there, crack the system, get paid a ton of dough, some might not like it. So what? Back in the day, you know, times change, mate. So what? God bless them. I know Andrew Tate might get on his fucking high horse, but who gives a <laughs> fuck what Andrew Tate says? Fucking hell. <laughs> You and Sean Strickland agree on that for sure. I've just seen a clip of Sean Strickland going, this fucking pimp. Um, but you know what it's mad for me is is I know your story. Like I have literally, from the Ultimate Fighter season three, watching you come through the doors, I've seen you from that moment onwards and I've like in real time followed your journey. There's comments of me from interviews you've done in 2009 saying I wanted to meet you, right? So like I'm, I've been there watching this and to see the guy you were, as the guy who slept in his car outside of this old gym and his missus was trying her best to help pay uh, the way to build this dream. For you to now sit there in your lovely house in LA to go, my son has a degree in business. Well done, mate. That's big time, that. That is fucking great. Well done. Yeah. Just, well, thank wow. you, Brian. And it is. It is, you know, because yeah. he's living up in San Francisco. You know, good. I mean, that's incredible by itself. He's, he's got a degree in business marketing mm. and hopefully he's going to go on, go on and do big things. Mm. My daughter, she has a, a passion for acting. She's studying theatre studies and she, she's at acting class almost every bloody day. You know, she's going to some mm. fancy larded art college which is going to cost me an absolute arm and a leg because I do do a little <laughs> bit of the acting stuff as well. Lardy right? doll. Lonely yeah. dog, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah, but, but like, because I, I do I a little it. bit of the acting stuff, but that's not why I'm bringing this up. I always say to uh, to to my wife, 
because my daughter, again, like a lot of young people, she didn't know what she wanted to do. She didn't know what direction she was in. And then she went through an old breakup and I said, well, what about just go through, do some acting classes? Cause it can be very, it can be very thera- therapeutic. And uh, she she's developed a big passion and a love for it. And she's really taking it seriously. And who knows? Who knows? Maybe she never does anything. You know, but at least now she's got a dream. And I believe it's important for people to have a dream. And I said to Rebecca, I said, listen, with this acting stuff that I do, even though I really enjoy it, and I've got a couple of big projects coming out, I've got two big films next year, Den of Thieves 2, Red Sonja, baby. Uh, and hopefully my first <laughs> lead coming up. But I said, if nothing else comes out of that, that I've just been able to instill a dream and find the passion for my daughter, then that's that in itself has been worth it all. Yeah, I'm, I mean, um, looking at you as a dad from the outside in, I see you as a great dad, right? You, you, you're wrestling your son, and we see all these funny little moments between your younger son who'd religiously pick against you and your daughter just seems like a carbon copy of your wife, uh, and you seem to have a real great family setup. But out of all of the three kids, uh, just because I'm trying to understand what it takes for you to, to sort of get annoyed at them, which one is it who will really make you raise your voice uh, and, and why? <laughs> Well, well, in a minute, I'm about to spaz out because they're all, I'm, I'm, we're doing this interview and they have no respect. I can hear them banging around the house. Callum, my eldest, he came, he's, back, he's just come back. It's Thanksgiving in America. So it's Thanksgiving on Thursday. So everything shuts down for the week pretty much. Uh, so he just came back from college mm. and uh, he went out with his mates last night. He had a few drinks, come back at half three in the morning. Right, came back at half three in the morning and we've just got a sauna installed. And he walks in at half three in the morning, he wakes me up, right? And, he get it, and I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not going to start shouting or anything like that. I couldn't care less. I'm happy for him. But I couldn't get back to sleep. And then they were in there and then they went outside in the garden. And I'm like, what are, they, are they getting in the bloody sauna? What are they doing? Do you know what I mean? And it's like, it's a, it's a five-man sauna. It's like glass walls and stuff. It's beautiful. But I'm like, they're all big dudes, right? Callum's like 265 pounds, you know what I mean? It's like 130 kilos. Yeah, he's massive. Right? And I'm like, these big dudes all pissed up in a glass sauna by the swimming pool. That's that's a recipe for disaster. So I'm like, hey, Cal, what are you doing? <laughs> Looks like a very dodgy party at this point at 3 a.m. Yeah, like, no, it does, it does. Up. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, I'm like, get out the sauna. I said, also, if you've had a few drinks, you're going to be dehydrated even more. You're going to feel like, you're going to feel like death in the yeah. morning. So anyway, um, Anyway, to answer your question, he's the one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you know why? Because he's 22. He came in from college the other night. I could send you the video. It's hilarious because, as you say, we're always wrestling. He comes in. I've dieted down a bit. I'm the lightest <laughs> I've been for a while. And he goes, come on, Dad. Come on. And grabs hold of me and starts having a wrestle. Fucking hell. He slammed me to the floor. Right, he did, I got up. He did it again. Because, <laughs> like, you know, I mean, I was taking it easy. Do you know what I mean? But, yeah, he was just throwing me around like an absolute rag doll. But to answer your question, because he is 22, he, he has to push me on everything. He has to disagree with everything. He has his, he's got his college education. Do you know what I mean? So, like, he disagrees. <laughs> I'm like, listen, I pay the bills. This is how it is, right? So shut the fuck up, right? Stop arguing with me just for one minute for crying out loud. Because yeah. guess what? I still got it, baby. 
Uh, that was Michael Bisping on the True Jody podcast once again. Do check his show out. The link for the shows to buy your tickets to go and see him and the heavyweight champion of the world and also many others will be in the link in the description below. Go and see Mike. Watch the show. It's fantastic. The last one was unbelievable. The second one will be even better, no doubt. Big thanks for coming on, Mike. Appreciate you, mate. Anytime, mate. <laughs>